You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. It is the APC podcast from AcmePackingCompany.com and SB Nation talking Green Bay Packers. All the live long day for you fine folks. Um, I am Zach Rapport, dialing it in from Albuquerque, New Mexico. Follow the show at the APC pod. Like, subscribe, all that fun stuff. And uh, pinch hitting on short notice, man. You are my like speed dial hero these last few weeks. I am joined by Tex Western. How are you, man? I'm good. It's been an interesting day, but uh, always always happy to talk after a Packers <laughs> win. That's that's always the best part. And you're uh, you got some uh, some bourbon there on brand. I feel like you've pretty much had it's like your podcast fuel at this point. Every time we're on yeah, air, just just about it's it's some form of whiskey. So today I'm going with the uh, just the classic Willet bourbon. But one of my favorites is, and it comes in probably the coolest bottle you'll ever find. It's shaped just like the still at the distillery. So take a take a look. Looks like a genie bottle. It's great. Excellent. All right, everybody, follow, subscribe, all that fun stuff. I think I already said that. The Packers raising eyebrows on Sunday as they beat the Vikings 43-34. to 34. Uh, Thanks to everyone who downloaded and listened to our rapid recap episode immediately following the game. It got a lot of traction, a lot of positive feedback, and we really appreciate that. And we are going to try to commit to doing that after every game this season. So Tex, it feels like only yesterday you and I were here talking Green Bay Packers. Um, But this time we're here to do some some note nugs for the first time in the 2020 season our notable yeah. nuggets and i realized as i was writing this segment out that uh, we didn't tweet out from from the podcast feed at the apc pod on twitter asking for listener note nugs after the game so that was a bad on bad job by me um we will try to do that going forward to have some uh, fan reaction to include in the segment but notable nuggets, hashtag note nugs, just a little bite-sized tidbit from the game, something to chew on. And I'm going to go first. Uh, Jair Alexander is my note nug, picked up right where he left off last season, and he has got me very, very excited. I saw Gil Brandt tweet out that Alexander became just the fifth player in the last two decades to register a sack, an interception, and a safety in the same game. And it turns out, that the tackle for the safety was an instinct move and that he was supposed to be in coverage and he thought they were going to run. So he made a quick decision and he realized he was incorrect, but he stayed decisive, made a great play, kind of a Charles Woodson move there, like to take a calculated risk and have it pay off. And um, as Greg Jennings might say, Jair Alexander is the favorite of me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was that was a fun play, and, and it was even more fun learning about that afterwards, knowing that if he hadn't gotten home, Kirk Cousins probably would have had a 97-yard touchdown to somebody. Um, 
Yeah, there was there was a reverse angle shot that I saw today of Adam Thielen completely wide open down the middle of the field. And so yeah, if, he, if he doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> if he doesn't have the speed that he has to close that quickly and, and get that sack, um, that's that's bad news. And, and Matt, Matt LaFleur was funny about it on Monday, too, because he alluded to it when when one of the reporters asked him, you know, how you how you evaluate that or how you treat a guy when he goes a little rogue, but makes a big play. And he was, he was saying that it's kind of a fine line between, you know, you want to encourage your guys to trust their eyes and trust their instincts. But, uh, if they, uh, if they're, if they're too reckless, obviously they can get burned, but thankfully it worked out that time. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, almost like the, uh, uh, Holmgren far of whatever you do, don't run kind of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Texas, you take a sip of bourbon. What is your note nug coming out of this game? I, I think my note nug is that the Packers got the most like perfectly encapsulating game from each of their three wide receivers. So Devonta Adams, very high usage, tons of targets, tons of catches, big in the red zone, um, you know, big yardage, you know, your your go to guy, Marquez Valdez Scantling. Bunch of targets on deep throws, two terrible drops, but a couple of really big plays, including that touchdown. And then Alan Lazard being the, you know, not a real high volume guy, but a very productive player. Um, and and I feel like that's that's kind of the ideal for this offense is is when those guys, you know, play those roles. Obviously, you'd love to cut those drops down for MVS, but that's kind of it's kind of who he is at this point, right? And, and you sort of got the the perfect game that encapsulates who each of those three receivers really are. Yeah. How long did it take James Jones to get over the drop bug? Because I feel like he had that for a while early in his career. Yeah, it, it felt like a couple of years because, um, yeah, he was part of the 07 class. I feel like it was like the Super Bowl year of 2010 or so that it really seemed like he he kind of. Uh, had that under control. And I mean, even Adams had that early on in his career too, his first two years. And then he had that breakout year in 16. So, um, you know, maybe, maybe he'll be able to, you know, maybe Marcos will be able to to get past that this year. That'd be great. Um, because, you know, he probably left another 70, 80 yards on the field with those two drops. Um, that second one in particular on that, that bomb up the, you know, on that deep crosser. Um, yeah. Or deep post. Um, you know, that could have been a 60 yard touchdown. So, um, yeah, Rogers, Aaron Rodgers stat line could have been even better than it was if not for, for those two drops, but, um, still had a, a, a pretty good game and, and obviously made a couple of huge plays. Yeah. And to, to hear Rogers talk about it, um, I'm not sure if it was post game or the, the following day uh, for his press availability, but, um, you know, talked about, it wasn't, it wasn't an issue of, losing or having to maintain trust in MVS that he has his trust and he's going to continue to go to him. And that was refreshing to hear as a fan, obviously the drops are are frustrating, but you love the results of uh, continuing to go to him and having it pay off. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So if he, if he can keep being that deep threat and taking the top off the defenses, not letting them kind of stay back and, you know, bring an extra guy into the box to, to deal with the, the heavy personnel that the Packers seem to be, you know, excited to use. Um, that just seems to open things up big time for this offense. And I, I kind of alluded to it a couple of weeks ago that, you know, if, if he's that consistent deep threat guy, um, that could give this offense just a completely different dimension than we saw last year and could really open up things for a lot of stuff underneath. 
Totally. All right, that is Note Nugs. Hashtag Note Nugs. We will be better about tweeting out after the game to get some fan involvement. Sorry about that, guys. It's you know it's early for us too. We didn't get a preseason. <laughs> we didn't get those reps. So you know, hey, we're we're working on it. Let's move on. I want to talk about the the offensive line text. You know, we've talked a lot about the uncertainty on the right side of the line, and and now we know for sure that Lane Taylor is out for the season, and it's a big blow for the team. But you also got to feel horrible for Taylor, the the person. But Tex, what do you think the Packers are going to do here now on the right side of that line? It's it's really musical chairs, right? It certainly was in the second half of that game, and and you know John Runyon coming in and and playing 15 snaps and as a rookie. Um, and I think it's going to depend a lot on what happens with Billy Turner and Lucas Patrick, and and whether or not one or both of those guys can play this week. Um, it certainly seemed like they really had Turner kind of penciled in as their right tackle. So if he is healthy and if, if Patrick is back, I wouldn't be surprised if those two are the starters at right guard and right tackle with, with Patrick at guard and, and Turner at tackle. Um, but I thought uh, Rick Wagner played a really good game uh, in relief once um, once Patrick got hurt and, and Elton Jenkins moved back to left guard. So, you know, I think he's, he's certainly earned um, an opportunity to uh, continue getting playing time at right tackle. So, I think I think it's just kind of going to be week to week and, and dictated by you know who they have available um, between between Patrick and Turner um, at at this point. So we'll we'll see what happens. But you know, fingers crossed. It sounds like there's at least a chance that both of those guys can play. Um, Patrick, at least it, it sounded like somebody said that they thought he'd be probable this week. So at least that gives the Packers one option there at right guard. Um, you know, with with Taylor going down. Um, so that you can at least put a five out there that you feel pretty pretty confident in, and not necessarily um, you know rely on a guy like Runyon to to make a start as a sixth round rookie in his second game. Yeah, and and Rick Wagner I think had a lot of fans worried. Did not have a great camp. Was was playing injured a little bit, but had I think a lot of people wondering, you know, was this a waste of a signing? But I don't know. Maybe he's just a gamer. I thought he did pretty good. <laughs> Yeah, he looked solid. And, you know, maybe some of the issues he had in Detroit last year were injury related. Um, you know, who who knows? Hopefully that's all it was, because he's been a, a very solid right tackle for, you know, for much of his NFL career. So, you know, Wisconsin native, former Badger, pulling for the guy. Um, hope hope he plays well. And, you know, he certainly seemed to uh, in pretty extended duty on Sunday. Yeah. And thank our lucky stars for Jenkins, who... Because yeah. can play supposedly every every slot on the line, even a little center if if you, if you need. Maybe he can long snap too. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was interesting. Ben Fennel, friend of show, uh, tweeted out that he thinks Jenkins might actually be the Packers' right tackle of the future. Um, I saw something about Ooh. that earlier yesterday or today. Um, just kind of looking at how natural he looked there at right tackle uh, <clears throat> over the first half of the game uh, on Sunday. So that, that'd that be a little bit of a, an interesting wrinkle, but you figure, you know, your tackles are certainly at least have the reputation of being a more valuable position than guard. And so, you know, if you think he's the guy, um, you know, maybe maybe a guy like Runyon with what he showed in, in limited action and, and Patrick, you know, maybe you could roll with those guys, you know, maybe in 2020 or 21. And um, I, I don't know. It's it, it certainly seems like an option that they're willing to consider. And they they clearly thought that uh, that Jenkins at, at right tackle was, you know, one of their best five with Turner out, which I think surprised everybody, myself included. So um, 
Don't be shocked if we see that again at some point. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, that's the way it goes in the NFL injuries force uh, some shuffling and all kinds of positions. And, and you really discover um, some hidden gems sometimes, or maybe someone's good at uh, better at one thing than they thought that the, that they might be. Um, so we shall see. I mean, our fingers are crossed there with the, with the offensive line and, and them being able to shuffle around and, um, and hold, hold out for the rest of the year. Cause I don't know how many more injuries they can handle, but, uh, we will see. And in COVID times, we, we might have to see what it's like to try to <laughs> bring more linemen in here mid season. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they've only got two guys on the practice squad. It's Jake Hansen, the center, the, the sixth-round pick, and Zach Johnson, an undrafted rookie out of uh, North Dakota State. Um, two interior guys, which at least there's some depth in the organization there because, you know, all three guys who who are hurt right now are, you know, ostensibly guards. Turner, a little bit of tackle. But, um, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if we see, at the very least, a, a practice squad signing of a guard at some point this week um, to, to kind of bolster that, that depth. Yeah. Uh, is it Zach with an H or Zach with a K? It's with a K. Yeah. Uh, I'm not rooting for that guy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, I'm just very protective of my, uh, of my name, Zach with an H. All right, let's move on. Talk a little bit about tight end usage. Uh, you know, much has been made obviously of the quote unquote need at wide receiver for the Packers, but we saw, a lot of pass catchers in action all over the field against the Vikings. It was uh, really fun to see. Just in 12 personnel alone, we saw 12 snaps for the uh, combo of Lewis and DeGuara and seven snaps for Lewis and uh, my boy Big Bob. Uh, Big f- Bob. <laughs> Tex, uh, uh, does what we saw in terms of formation, snap count, et cetera, for the pass catchers jive with what you expected? out of this Matt LaFleur offense in year two? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense based on, you know, the the trends that they've seemed to go with as far as personnel goes with with drafting DeGuard in the third round. Um, the, the one thing, honestly, that surprised me was that Sternberger didn't get more playing time. Um, even though they had listed him as the third guy on the depth chart, I, I really thought that um, that they were going to kind of split up snaps pretty evenly between him and Tanya and Mercedes Lewis. But um with, with Sternberger being all the way down with only 12 snaps in the game compared to Tanyan with 48, uh, Lewis with 32, um, that surprised me. But I think maybe DeGuara's 24 snaps really, you know, he in those those snaps, he probably played like five or six different positions yeah, all over across the, the offense. From fullback to, to split out wide to inline to, you know, kind of on the wing. Um, and, you know, he's really that that really is that Kyle Juszczyk role that um, that Kyle Shanahan likes to use him in. Um, and Lafleur even alluded to it a little bit on Monday that, that he calls DeGuara the F tight end in that offense, which is essentially the same position that, that Juszczyk plays um, in that same scheme. So calling him a tight end is, you know, might, might be a bit of a misnomer, but it's just kind of where, where he's going to be is, is, you know, that same, he's that same player, right. That, uh, that they've got in San Francisco. So it was, it was interesting to see if anything, I thought that this might be the game given the matchups that the Packers had with that really young corner group for Minnesota. I thought they might go a little more 11 in this one, just to take advantage of some of those matchups. Yeah. 
But um, even in this game, I mean, they probably spent half their snaps in, in 12 personnel or, or maybe even 22 just based on the snap counts. So um, clearly, I think that's going to be their probably primary base personnel grouping on offense um, moving forward. And, and I think you're going to see that even more in the future when there's, um, you know, more more desirable matchups against safeties and linebackers against other teams unlike against Minnesota where, you know, those position groups are so strong and the cornerbacks were definitely the weaker link on defense. Yeah. And what you thought you might see against the Vikings, maybe we'll end up seeing that against the lions, a team who, um, do they have any corners left? Are they just going to feel like <laughs> a couple of UPS drivers or <laughs> what? it's, it's hamstring city over there for, for all the complaints that Ay. Packers fans had about hamstring injuries during the Mike McCarthy years. It seems like that, uh, that epidemic has ma- made its way across Lake Michigan. Hashtag soft tissue. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's what all three of the, the lion's top corners with hammy issues. Oof. That's, that's, that's no bueno, especially against a, a receiver unit that did what the Packers did on Sunday. No bueno. And we'll talk about that a little bit later in the week when we preview the Lions game with Jeremy Reisman, uh, who covers the Lions for Pride of Detroit and SB Nation. But really quickly, you know, you mentioned Sternberger. He only in that 12 personnel count was only on the field uh, once and it was Tanyan and Sternberger. So Tanyan double dipping there. Um, I've heard some theories that with Sternberger, it's the kind of thing where they're going to start him out really light and then work him up over time. Not sure if I I buy that. I mean, I you know it's public knowledge. I I cape for all the tight ends. It's like my thing, so I'm rooting for rooting for all of them. Not sure if I buy that. I don't know. Are you what do you, are you worried about Sternberger? What do you what do you think? I I really don't know what to think at this point. Um, but I also think that even though they used a lot of tight ends, they didn't really use them in the passing game much. And that matchup and and maybe Rogers reads was a big part of that. Um, because I think they, they combined between all four of those guys got two pass targets and both of them went to DeGuara. So it clearly was not a focal point to get those guys, the football in the passing game, um, either just using them as decoys or blockers or, or what have you. So I think maybe it is a, a little more of a matchup based thing where, um, again, with, with teams against teams that have a weaker safety and linebacker group, that might be the way that they go is, is getting those guys more involved. Yeah. All right, Tex, let's move on. Uh, one last uh, topic here before we get into a little listener mailbag and hear what uh, our fine listeners have to say and want to know about. I just wrote down here for the next topic, DVOA deep dive. So firstly, <laughs> uh, there was a bit of a kerfuffle on the old Twitter website today with uh, beat guy Rob Demosky and our own Peter Bukowski going at a little bit. Tex, can you give us the blow by blow first on, on what's going on there? I, I don't even know where to start. I mean, <laughs> the, the the idea that that anybody would just immediately dismiss something that has four letters in it that signify a, a particular analytical stat or measurement um, is just ridiculous because um, I mean, I'm, I'm a firm believer in tape and analytics and numbers coming together to give you the full picture of, of what's going on. And they, they work hand in hand. And I don't understand why anybody would tie one of those hands behind their back when um, when when trying to analyze something in this game. So, yeah, it's uh, we're, we at, at Acme Packing Company, we're pretty 
you know, pretty analytics heavy site. I'll I'll be the first to acknowledge that. We've got some guys that really love to dive into the numbers and and myself included. But um, I think everybody at our site, I, I certainly think, you know, has a good dose of perspective and um, acknowledges when you need to match those up with the tape. And so to again, it they're, they're the reactions to, you know, to the nerds, the the old stats are for losers line from Mike McCarthy, just that, that <laughs> using that as uh, something to to back up your position doesn't really jive for me. <laughs> Right. And so uh, for everyone who didn't see this on Twitter, Rob Domofsky at some point in an interaction with someone talking about DVOA basically said, this is what I do when I see DVOA in a story. And it's a gif of someone closing their laptop. Uh, Peter Bukowski tries to engage him and basically saying, hey, you know, this is a uh, it's it's a valuable stat. It's useful information. Why don't you want to learn about it? And yeah, he, Domofsky basically just doubles down and said, I don't want to learn about it. And the, 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 the icing on the cake at the end, uh, at the end of the exchange is Rob Domofsky saying, uh, it's not blackjack, it's football. There are so many other variables that change from game to game, which I don't necessarily totally disagree with. But then he says DVOA equals dorks value only analytics. Wow. I love it. Well, that's a perfect that's a perfect <laughs> example it. of not understanding the point. Again, only <sighs> saying that, People are, are only looking at analytics is just silly. Um, that's that's misrepresenting everybody's position, and it's a it's a bad faith argument. It's not misrepresenting some people's position, but no, that's probably fair. But at least those of us who you know, again, those of us at, at Acme Packing Company here, I know Peter um, is a is a big tape guy as well as a, a numbers guy, so. Um, he picked the wrong fight. I think the demo did with, with the wrong person to, to pull that line out on if you ask me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, we are, we are a, a reasonable bunch here at, uh, at Acme Packing Company. <laughs> I'd like to think so. Yeah. Um, I saw that you tweeted out, um, you said, since we're having the DVOA discussion, I think Devante Adams DVOA puzzle is a perfect example of why it is a valuable stat. His DVOA is often middle of the pack, not because of his talent, but because the Packers don't use him efficiently. And then you referenced a, an, an article up at the blog, acmepackingcompany.com. Could you unpack that a little bit? Yeah. One of the things that, this is something that's bothered me for a couple of years now. And I finally got a chance to ask the football outsiders guys, the ones who compiled the DVOA numbers about it. Why, you know, Adams is universally considered a top 10, if not a top five receiver in the league. But his DVOA numbers never seem to bear that out. And one of the, the points that they made is, is the DVOA stat itself is purely an efficiency stat. It's, it's how much value you provide per play relative to average. And that depend, depends a lot on how a player is used. So, for example, with Devante, they throw so many of those little quick screens to him. And th- those are generally just not very valuable plays, period. Um, I even tweeted about it when um, when they did that in in one of the well, the plays in the first half on Sunday yep. is they, they did a little quick RPO screen out to him on the left. He ended up picking up 10 yards, but I said something like, you know, I don't care how much yardage he gained. That's not going to be likely to be a high value play. That was the and exception, so not the rule. Yeah. Exactly. And then they went back to it again and, and did it again in the second half. And I think he picked up two yards on like a, a second and eight or something like that. So it, it's it's very dependent on, uh, at least in terms of Adams, 
um, on the way he's used within the offense and the fact that they funnel so many targets to him. And a lot of them are, are either low probability targets or just low value targets, like on those screens that um, he just doesn't, you know, the, the, the pure efficiency numbers don't really show up. His total value is still there because he, he does catch so many balls. Um, and, and especially in the last couple of years before last year, he was catching so many touchdowns. Obviously that's a huge value add as well. But um, what my point was there is that, you know, something like that can shine a little bit of a light on a factor involving a player or a team and, and how they're approaching something that might be benefit from some some changes or some improvement. If you replaced all of those, um, you know, those little smoke screens with quick slant routes, you probably would be picking up more yardage and, um, you know, be having a little bit more efficient offense overall. And, and obviously Adam's numbers would be a little better. So I think that that's a great example of the kind of insight that you can get with a stat like this, yeah. um, that, that you kind of marry that up to the tape. Yes. You can see on film that Adams is a great receiver. Um, but then, you know, this kind of puts it into context. All right. How can we use this great receiver better? Right. Yeah. The supplements, the, the, the metrics are a supplement. They are not gospel, but they are valuable and important and should be considered along with film and the old eye test. If we want to go back to the forties and rub some salt on it, the old eye test. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's move on to the mailbag. about 15 seconds of that song so we don't get sued uh, at the apc pod on twitter the apc podcast at gmail.com is where you can find us send in your questions uh love mail hate mail all that fun stuff we're going to start with joe at work who tweets in why was eq a healthy scratch while malik taylor was active seems like something is going on behind the scenes with him what was up with that tex um i, I i'm not worried about eq um, he's very clearly the fourth receiver in this rotation, or at least he's behind the the top three. And if Taylor had gotten snaps on offense with the other guys being healthy, then I'd be concerned. But Taylor was exclusively a special teams guy. Um, so that's where his contributions are going to come unless there's an injury. I think in this case, you know, they felt good about the the tight end group, the way they want to run a little heavier personnel. Um, and, and they were content, you know, only, you know, throwing three receivers out there and rotating them through a little bit. So I don't think it's anything to do with, you know, a a problem with EQ behind the scenes or anything. I think it's just a function of, um, you know, Taylor's a guy that they, they want to use on special teams more so than EQ. Um, and, and with four tight ends active, you kind of have to pick your poison a little bit. So, um, he just kind of was the odd man out. I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't worry about it. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, there were five tight ends active because John Lovett got elevated from the practice squad for the game. That's right, so, he did. Um, so he was uh, he was playing on special teams, and I think he got one one snap during the kneel down period with with Tim Boyle at the end of the game on offense. So um, yeah, when you get uh, you get nine spots devoted to your receivers and, and tight ends, um, and five of those go to tight ends, that that kind of just limits your options a little bit on offense. Yep, I definitely agree. Um, Ted writes in to the email inbox, Ted in Virginia. Hello for the first time uh, in the 2020 season. He says, my question is, what are the chances you think that the Packers will regret not getting Aaron Rodgers more playmakers on offense? End quote. That is a, it's a common question. Um, it felt kind of squishy all off season. 
We've got one game under our belts now. What do you think, Tex? I mean, the passing game looks pretty good. It's one game. Yeah. I don't know. It, it, I mean, if we're judging based on Sunday, I'm my concern level is is close to zero. Um, right. I'm still a big EQ believer, though. So going back to the previous question, I think if something happens to one of those top three, I think EQ can step in and play. Really, I think he could play any of those roles. Um, whether it's the deep threat, I think he's got enough speed for that. And I think he, honestly, I think he tracks deep balls better than MVS does. Um, he could be the kind of low volume efficiency guy that, uh, that Lazard is. Um, so I'm not so worried there, especially again, you get, you get the, the, the way they're going to like to go big. Um, yeah, my, my level of concern is, is relatively low at this point. Um, but I do think that if there is an injury to one of the receivers, um, that's probably a, a position where they might be a little, a little thin and, and, you know, anything more than one, one guy going down, or if, you know, God forbid it's Adams who, who comes up with, with some sort of injury or something. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that's, that's a potential concern, but, um, and, and I mean, they did try to account for that a little bit, at least with, with acquiring Funches this off season, which, you know, with him opting out, that kind of takes one, you know, one other, uh, weapon out of the arsenal. Right. So uh, my, my level of concern, I would say is still, you know, below in the 10, 10 to 20% range. I still feel good about this group. Um, we'll just, we'll have to see where it takes us. I heard you say volume and efficiency in your answer. And I slowly pretended to close my laptop. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Moving on. BK tweets in. He says, uh, why can they never get a playoff in time and continue to burn timeouts? <laughs> I want to, firstly, I, I want to say, cause I tracked this a little bit, uh, last season, they, they, they have been better last season and and also as well in this game been better than they have historically in the last couple of years at getting the play off with more time on the clock they have been better than they have been but there have they slip up sometimes and the play calls are long and Rodgers has talked about it LaFleur has talked about it and burning timeouts um that was going to be that was a thing I noted I wrote it down um as I was watching the game uh because usually that comes back to bite you um they burned two timeouts. Um, they had one timeout left in the first half, and um, uh, they ended up scoring again a, a 11 seconds on that drive within 25 seconds. So that was awesome, but you'd also like to be able to start that drive with more timeouts, more options. Um, so did that seem like, was that more of the same? It seems like BK thinks it was more of the same. What do you think, Tex? I think you hit it on the head is that in general, they're getting up to the line a little more consistently with a little bit more time left. But yeah, there's those there's still those individual instances and there's still a lot of them. Um, you mentioned the two in the first half. I think there was a third one in the second half too, where they, they burned one um, due to the play clock. So LaFleur kind of took that one on himself uh, this week saying that, you know, he's got to get, get the play call in better saying that a couple of those instances were um, when they kind of had the, the dual play call where, you know, you've got the option of checking, checking out a one and into the other. Um, and, and that, that's that kind of communication piece that, that really they've been talking about all off season. So I, I it, it's frustrating, um, certainly, uh, to, to come down and, and not have more than one time out with, you know, 30 seconds left when you're, you're trying to double up on, on the scoreboard. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know how much what more they can do that they wouldn't have already done this offseason though. And that's just kind of concerning that, you know, it it 
once or twice a game, this might just happen for whatever reason. Yep. Um, and it's, it's, it's a bummer, but I do like the fact that there's instances where they've been getting to the line quicker. There was one third down and about four where I think Rogers got to the line, you know, got the team to the line with about 25 seconds on the play clock. And you just knew that, that a, the hard count was coming. Um, and then he was going to, going to try to get him off sides, which he did. Um, he still fell and, for it. I can't believe it. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and then, you know, the, the, the play call came in after, after getting to the line, seeing the, the alignment of the defense, get that play call in. And, and then he called a, you know, they got the hard count, got the offsides and then got a great big gain to, to MVS on, on one of his other big ones. So I, I don't, I don't know if that really answered the question. Sorry if, <laughs> if I, if I tipped out around it, but um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what more there is to do if they've already yeah. tried simplifying the language of the offense. Um, I like your answer. It's just going to happen a, a couple times a year. Embrace it. Make it a drinking game. You know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, there just you go. Do what you, do what you got to do. Um, lastly, speaking of drinking, lastly, good old Matub tweets in, what's the best beer to drink after a victory against Detroit? I love the optimism, and we are going to uh, – <laughs> preview the Detroit Lions game in a couple days here. Um, no puns or clever answers for me. It's still kind of hot here in Albuquerque, so I, I keep it light with a Pilsner uh, from a local brewery called Marble, um, a good local brewery here. Uh, Tex, what about you? After the Detroit victory. <laughs> First, I can say I can confirm from from personal experience that Marble's got some good stuff. So, oh, yeah, we went there um, together. Yeah, that's right. We did. We did. That was uh, that was the last place I went before lockdown happened. Was, yeah, pre-COVID. Was when we, uh, recorded the pod and, and hung out out there in Albuquerque <laughs> a little bit. Um, all right. So if it's a, there's so many good beers to to pick from from Michigan that um, you know that just you know rub a little salt in the wound by drinking something of theirs. But um, if you really want to go um, with something quality, and um, I've got Bell's, really anything from Bell's is solid. Um, if it's, a, um, if you, if you want to go for the, the bitter taste that the lions tend to have after, after the way they lo- lost to the Packers, the last couple games, um, you could always go with the two hearted real nice. I love hoppy, the two hearted. Yeah. Nice hoppy IPA. <laughs> um, if you want something that's, you know, if it's just a, a, a complete Packers blowout, um, they've got a black note stout that they make every once in a while at bells that is you know, b- bourbon aged or bourbon barrel aged stout. You know, looks like motor oil pouring into the glass. So smooth, it is delicious. So, but but really, anything from Bell's, you can't go wrong. Feeling your oats, man. Just ask you booze questions, and you're just you are very comfortable. All right. Um, whoops, that's the wrong sounder. We need preseason here. I'm gonna hit the polka. There we go. Yeah. Hey, I'm a professional. Um, that is going to do it for us here until Thursday night. Please consider giving us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Positive rating helps us reach more people, and it makes us feel good, too. If Patreon is your thing, you can support us there. Patreon.com slash Notenugs. Every dollar helps, Kisa, helps keep up with equipment costs. Words are hard. <laughs> Gear upgrades, other resources to help bring you the show. Patreon.com slash Notenugs. N-O-T-E-N-U-G-S. Um, a quick shout out to a three-way tie so far for first place in the APC podcast listener pick'em league. Chris Vitor and Smoke Boof, nice work, everybody. We're gonna be back in a couple days with uh, special guest Jeremy Reisman to preview Week Two against the Detroit Lions. Until then, everybody out there, 
Tex, with your bourbon, go pack go, keep your stick on the ice.